Welcome back to Guessing Game Musical Legacies, the podcast where I tell you a famous singer's life story and you guess who they are. We're back for episode five and guess who's back? (laughs) Back again. Belinda's back. Hello. Yay, Belinda. We're so excited to have you here for another episode. Thank Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited too. To kick it off, I've got a couple of fun questions to help our listeners get to know you. Okay. So the first musical questions, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first one we've got is, I want to know what the first CD you ever got was. Yeah, the first CD I ever got was Aqua Aquarium. Oh, Mm. oh, I was so excited because I loved them. I loved them more than Spice Girls. Wow, that's a big call, actually, Mm -hmm. because we were very diehard Spice Girls fans. Yeah. And does that... Is that the album that has, like, Dr. Jones? Yes. And Cartoon Heroes? Not Cartoon Heroes. It was, like, Lollipop, Dr. Jones. Was it Lollipop? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Barbie Girl? It was, like, 30 years ago, nearly. I mean, Yeah, yeah. Barbie Girl, obviously, that was, like, their first big one. And, you know, they're coming to Adelaide in, like, a month's time. Is it in a month's time? Yeah, pretty soon. I haven't got tickets. Mm. Do you have tickets? I don't, but I did see them a couple of years ago when they came out, and they were amazing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Can you actually just refresh my memory? Where, what country do they hail from? Denmark, most of them. And then uh, Lena the girl was from Norway. So yeah. just keeping with that Scandinavian <laughs> thing. Sticking with our Scandinavian <laughs> thing. It's all right. I'll just let everyone know right now we're not doing a Scandinavian Thank singer goodness. today. Um, hopefully there's no <laughs> struggling. I don't know anymore. <laughs> That is actually too much. Um, that's a really cool first CD. And then tell our listeners, what was the first concert you ever went to? My dad took me to BB King. Now, I don't actually know. I don't think I know who BB King is. Yeah, What's that's... a BB King song that I might know? Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> he was really like blues and um, really fantastic at the guitar. So he, I think it's like Memphis. Is that where um, the King's from? Was he Elvis is from? Uh... I think so, because I didn't realise it, but when I watched the Elvis, because I've always heard of B.B. King, obviously, it's like one of my dad's favourites, and when I was watching the Elvis movie, he was in it a lot when he was young. It was like those two, so Elvis would go into town and play at blues clubs, and B.B. King was really big back then too, So he was, and they were really good friends. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah, actually, you did mention that Elvis movie to me, and I do need to watch it. You do. Um, And then... Maybe down the line somewhere I might do a little episode on Elvis. I feel like he's so well known. Everyone will guess it straight away. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be a hard one. It's like episode three. A lot of people messaged me to say that they guessed who it was based on the date of birth. Yes. Um, So it might be a similar thing. But Mm. that's really cool. I have a similar story. The first concert I ever went to, um, my dad gave me the ticket for. So he didn't take me, um, but it was Rumba. Uh, I don't know if you remember Rumba. That was all the different... Bands all like together. Yeah, yeah, so I think it was. I know Pink was Pink wow. and Shaggy were the headliners. Oh, that would have been big. Yeah, um, I remember watching Shaggy singing that. It wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> and it was in like the Parklands or something, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I think it was at Adelaide Oval. Oh, cool. I think, um, but I think there's also Mystique there. Oh yeah. So 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 scandalous. Where they move? Yeah. yeah. And Sugar Babes. I have a feeling wow, that Sugar is Babes a really good concert. I'm yeah. jealous I didn't go. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I got free tickets and then I think I was meant to write a report or something <laughs> for some, you know, they were like sponsored that my dad oh, right, got through, them the sponsored yeah. tickets through the guitar shop. I didn't write a report, but I had a great time. <laughs> That's the main thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
Awesome. Well, it's super good to have you here again. I'm very excited to go through this episode with you. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to apologize because last week I didn't introduce myself. That's because I'm not a professional. (laughs) Uh, So today I'm going to introduce myself. My name's Michael. I'm 35. Love all things music. And I just want to give a little quick shout out to my mother, Kerry. I just stayed with her for a few days up in Darwin. And it's actually her 60th birthday today. She doesn't listen to this podcast. (laughs) Um, Thanks, mum. But you know, maybe one day she will and she'll hear this and feel the gratitude from me. Yes, I'm sure she will. Yeah. She's just a bit too busy at the moment, probably down at the pub at drinking the pub some pale, if I remember her well. <laughs> Classic Darwin <laughs> lifestyle. Yeah. And yeah, that's me in a nutshell. So episode five, I'm ready to go. Are you ready to go, Belinda? I'm ready. You know the rules. We've been through them before. Mm-hmm. If you get an answer wrong, you will get the buzzer. Yep. If you answer it right, you'll get the air horn, I think is actually <laughs> what that sound is called. Okay. And we're going to start from birth, finish at death. It's a life story. And all you need to know is it's a famous singer who's had some kind of impact on the world. All righty. I'm ready. All right. I'm ready as well. So let's kick it off. Okay. Episode five, Who Am I? I was born on the 27th of September, 1947, at Baylor Hospital in Dallas, Texas, Mm. as the only child to parents Wilma Artie and Orvis Wesley. That's some pretty cool names, Wilma Artie and Orvis Wesley. It is, yeah. I don't know if I've heard Orvis before as a name. No, I haven't. Um, This is an interesting fact, actually. So, you know, when babies are born with jaundice, they come out yellow. Yeah. So when this person was born, they came out bright red. Wow. Yeah, I've never heard of that before. But also I don't really know much about babies. Babies. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't got one, probably never going to have one. (laughs) But you probably would know maybe a little bit more. I mean, you work in a hospital. Do people give birth in that hospital? No, we don't have a labour ward in that hospital. (laughs) All I remember is when we were in grade six, we watched that sex education video and that woman gave birth. Oh my gosh. Do you remember? I've got PTSD, yes. Yeah. And that little girl was like taking notes on a notepad whilst her mum was giving birth. That was really informed sex education those for year six. For 11 year olds. Yeah. Crazy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this person was born and they were bright red. Well, better than being blue, I think. Absolutely. Uh, My mother, Wilma, was a school teacher and also part of a gospel music quartet. And my father, Orvis, was a former police officer who went into business selling a homemade cough remedy under the name of Griffin Grocery Company. I don't know, homemade cough remedies giving me like pyramid scheme, (laughs) MLM marketing sort of (laughs) vibes. The gospel quartet, named Vodiodo Girls, consisted of my aunt Texie, two other women, and my mother, and they had these amazing strong voices. They sang on the local radio station before going on to perform on the Bing Crosby show, closing out the show with one of their powerful gospel numbers. I love a musical family. So Mm. many musical families. They are, yeah. Yeah. This is a little bit rough. I'm going to give you a quick trigger warning anyone listening we're just going to quickly talk about some alcohol abuse Mm. my father was an alcoholic and would binge and then disappear for days on end this led to me growing up mostly at my grandmother's house i have many memories from my grandmother's house and we spent every sunday at church regularly i'd go driving with mum looking for dad in local dallas bars 
Dad had been medically discharged from the US Army during World War II, and we think this is what led to his drinking. Dad was a supply sergeant and had been in a box car when a mortar shell hit and wounded his leg. Mm. He didn't ever talk about the war. Yeah. So it really was a mm. n- was not a good experience for him. No, it wouldn't. Also, I had to Google box car because I didn't really know what that was, but I think it's just like a vehicle. <laughs> war vehicle. <laughs> a vehicle used during war. Looking for dad at local bars made me grow up quickly. At age nine, I go into the bars to search for dad whilst mum waited in the car. Jeez. Yeah. I'd be surrounded by drunk men leering at me until my dad would finally come out and say, don't worry about me. I'll be right home. Mm. The truth is he didn't come home. He'd stay out drinking. And over time I got used to this. So pretty, pretty rough from the get go with um, the father. But I think, I think that is a common thing for a lot of ex Military. Yeah, definitely. It is. Especially during those wars at that Mm. time and how, you know, outrageous they were. Yeah, losing all their friends and they would have seen some horrible stuff. So, yeah, Yeah, absolutely. When I was a child, I was known for running away. Naughty kid. Mum would put me out in the yard and I'd run down the street to a local 7 Eleven. Mum always knew where I'd gone and would call the 7 Eleven looking for me. I'd be sitting on the counter eating hot links, which I had to Google hot links because I didn't know what that... Do you know what hot links are? No. It's like sausages. Oh, like, like little link Dickie sausages. Dickie boys. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I think what that's what them? my nanny used to call them. Yeah. Frankfurt's. Frankfurt's, yeah. Yes, sort of something like that. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm picturing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and drinking Dr. Pepper, talking to everybody and anyone I could. At one point, mum tried to tie me to the clothesline to keep me in the yard. This resulted in me becoming an expert at untying knots. (laughs) Houdini. Houdini. (laughs) This kid's wild. School was a difficult time for me. I was often fighting with other students and I didn't have many friends until secondary school. When I was 16, I went to see JFK when he arrived at the Dallas Love Field. Oh, that's... Is that when he got shot? It is. Uh. Yeah, so I didn't know Dallas Love Field is a publicly owned airport. So when I was 16, I went there to see him. And then after hearing about his assassination, a friend and I drove to Parkland Hospital where we saw Jackie Kennedy getting out of the car covered in blood. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Horrific. At high school, I was involved in musicals, including being in the stage production of Where's Charlie and The Music Man. I loved sport and played the role defensive tackle in high school football. I'm not really a sports person, so I don't really know what defensive tackle... It sounds it sa- rough. Yeah. Sounds rough as guts to me. Defensive tackle. I'm writing that down. I've written some random notes so far. I don't know if they're going to help me. I but- just love that you're utilising <laughs> the pen and paper. <laughs> Doesn't always get used, so that's exciting for me. Taking it very seriously like, today. I am business. At one point, I was hit in the head with a shot put. That's those things that you throw around, like I'm in javelin sure it, shot put. That's like a metal. It's like ball. a metal ball. Yeah. Cheapest. I remember us using them at, at, when we went to primary school at yeah. like sports day and things like yeah, that. Yeah, and we did it at high school too. Well, I didn't attend sports day at high school. (laughs) And discus and stuff, yeah. Yeah. It's such a random sport, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That's a real gladiator era. Yeah. So they were hit in the head with a shot put, which eventuated in their eighth concussion. Oh. And also them losing the ability to walk, talk, and sing temporarily. Wow. So pretty full on. And I'm going to tell you, I think it comes up later on, but um, all up, this person's had like 27 concussions. 
I think it's 27. Okay. So it's a lot of concussions. It's a lot. I don't know if that's a clue for you. It's not a clue for me. It's a lot for a singer, isn't it? It is. Something that you'd hear in the football. I'm just... Maybe this person is a famous footballer yeah. turned singer. Okay. I don't know anyone that was, though. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> My parents had to take the ringer off the phone as I was so sensitive to sound that the phone ringing was unbearably painful. I guess you could say I was pretty clumsy and always getting hurt. In 1965, I graduated from Thomas Jefferson High School and moved on to Lubbock Christian School before transferring to North Texas State University. Okay. Now, I do we know singers from Texas? I can think of a couple. I can think of Kelly Clarkson. Okay. She's alive, so it's not um, Kelly Clarkson. Uh, there's a lot of singers from Texas. Yeah, I, I think there is. Think any. <laughs> I was really confused because at the start I was thinking it was a girl because something like when you said that we went into the bar and the men were staring. Yeah. And then like the football and the concussions and stuff. I mean, it still could be a girl, but I don't know. Normally I've figured out the gender by now, but I'm really like unsure. Yeah. And I think um, you might be onto something there though. Okay. It's a bit of a, yeah. That it's either a boy or a girl. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> It's one of the two, <laughs> um, in this case, anyway. And Texas singers, oh, I just keep on thinking about Nashville, but that's not even in Texas, <laughs> is it? <laughs> Nashville, I think, is in Tennessee. Okay. Do you okay. know what I'm going to do? There's a map over there, but it's a terrible one. It's like, it's from Kmart and it was $5 and it's pre, yeah. it's meant to be pre something. But I should get a big map up here so that we can put pins in it for the singers that we've covered. <laughs> That's a good idea. Wouldn't that be cool? I was just thinking as well, do you know what might help me? Maybe you could do a Texas accent for me. Mm. <laughs> Not going to happen? <laughs> no. Uh, no, I can't do that. Okay. I, I would love to be able to do that for you, but no, it would be terrible. I don't That's even know enough. what a Texas, I think, it, so Texas is a Southern state. Yep. And it's a real, like, a lot of cowboys, I think, of when I think of Texas. Mm. Well, cowboys and cowgirls, I should say. Okay. And they're really religious. Do you know, I used to watch Friday Night Lights, and I'm pretty sure that was set in Texas. Yeah, right. So, okay. Interesting. Let's so park Texas for yeah. a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making myself more confused. All right, let's keep going. All right. In 1967, when I was 19 years old, I lost my mum to cancer. Mum and I had been very close, so this was a difficult time for me. At the same time, my father, and then I've got in brackets, alcoholic, attempted to stab me (gasps) with a knife after having falsely accused me of having girls in my bedroom. What? Yeah. I think that clarifies... It's a boy, though. Okay. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to give it away. It is a boy. This We are talking about a boy. So I watched an interview with this singer, and they talked about this experience. They were in their bedroom, and I think they were watching TV or they were listening to music, and their dad just barged in with a knife and went to them. Wow. And that's honestly, that's all they There was no accusation beforehand. There was no conversation. The door flung open. Dad comes in with a knife. He must have been drunk. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think Jeez, he was sorry. most of the time. Yeah. So I used the inheritance I received from mum and rented an apartment in Dallas and went into hibernating for three and a half months before a Mm. friend rocked up at my address. So for three and a half months, I didn't talk to anyone. Wow. I just laid low. Shortly after this, I went to the airport and boarded a flight to LA. Interesting fact, I intentionally gained 60 pounds, which is 27 kilos, to fail my physical examination for the Vietnam War draft. Mm. Yeah. And you know what? Smart move because that war Mm. was terrible. I was in Vietnam earlier last year. Yeah. And we went to the war museum and just horrific. Uh 
I'd do the same thing. 27 kilos, though, is a lot, hey? Mm, well, look, I've managed it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've managed it as well. I blame bloody Hungry Jacks. Yeah. Whilst in LA, I put together my first band. We received several recording contracts, and our first gig was held at Huntington Beach in California, 1968. We opened for Van Morrison's band. Wow. Them. Yeah. How cool is that? Big name. Yeah. And Question Mark and the Mysterians, which was a garage rock band. I would later go on to describe my early days in the music industry as being treated like a circus clown. Mm. As a band, we struggled to keep hold of our lead guitarists, which led to several changes. Each time we changed lead guitarist, we'd change our name, including names like Popcorn Blizzard. Sounds like something you'd get at the cinemas. Can I have a Popcorn Blizzard and a large (laughs) Coke, please? Uh, And Floating Circus. (laughs) Sounds like something you'd go to in the parklands. Just going to see the Russian Floating Circus today. As Floating Circus, we opened for several acts, including The Who, The Fugs. The Who, they're a big name too. Yeah. I don't know The Fugs. No. And it just made me think of fugly something from Mean Girls. It's not appropriate for the (laughs) podcast, but it made me think of a naughty word. Uh, And The Stooges, and I don't know them either. Was that... Okay, don't worry. The Fug. Is that... You know that that song, um, Killing Me Softly? Oh, Killing Me Softly. But they... I don't think it's like Fug. They say something else. Is that them? I'm actually not sure. Do you know what? We'll check with... Yeah. We'll check with our mate Google afterwards. (laughs) Yep. We'll We'll ask. Our success led us to release a couple of singles before I went on to join the Los Angeles production of the musical Hair. Mm-hmm. How crazy is it? I just need to talk about Hair for a second. I have never seen Hair in my life. Episode one, they were in Hair. Episode five, they are in Hair. I'm really into Australian Idol that's on at the moment. Marsha Hines, Hair. Hair must be enormous. Yeah, I haven't heard of it. I've, um, that's not Hairspray, is it? No, not Hairspray. <laughs> hair. No. I don't know anything about it, but it it is a recurring theme yep. with many of our artists. Okay. I think we might need to look into it. Yeah, we it. will. How cool would it be? I wonder if, if it ever came to town, it might be on last ticks. <laughs> we can get some cheap tickets. <laughs> Perfect. As part of the production of Hair, I became well-known and was invited to Motown, Detroit. I appeared as Mother and Ulysses S. Grant at Detroit's Vest Pocket Theatre and recorded vocals with my fellow hair performer, Sean Stoney Murphy, on an album that had been selected by the Motown production team. The album was released in 1971 and included the single, What You See Is What You Get. And I sort of read that and I was like, I know that song, What You See Is What You Get. And then I was like, no, actually, I just made that up completely. (laughs) I've never heard that song before. Um, It reached 36 on the best-selling soul singles chart. We toured with Jake Wade and the Soul Searchers, opening for several acts including The Who, Bob Seger, Alice Cooper, and Rare Earth. Motown replaced my vocals from the one song on the album I liked, so I packed my things and moved to Freeland, Michigan, where I was the opening act at the Grand Ballroom 80 times. Wow. Really disappointed in that Motown story. One track that they really loved in Motown when actually we're going to take your vocals off and chuck someone else's vocals yeah. on. That's really sad. You know, as an artist, surely when you create something like that, it'd be really Oh, yeah, it'd be shattering. devastating. Yeah. Basically telling you you're not good enough. Yeah. I was just thinking as well, like, you know, everyone else had such big musical 
history from my childhood. This one is kind of not that much. And then all of a sudden they're pre-acts to Van Morrison and The Who and yeah. Alice Cooper. I was like, wow, they've like got in easy. But yeah. obviously they had setbacks. They sort of exploded pretty quickly, I think. Yeah. Yeah. In 1972, I was in the original off-Broadway production of Rainbow at the Orpheum Theatre in New York. There's a lot of theatres in this next paragraph, I'm just going to tell you, because (laughs) I wrote it and then I was like, oh, it's too many theatres. After the tour, I rejoined the cast of Hair at a Broadway theatre. I auditioned for the public theatre's performance of More Than You Deserve, where I first met, now this could be a really big clue, Jim Steinman. Now, Jim Steinman is a composer, writer, and producer, and created and produced songs for... You ready? This is a big list. Mm -hmm. This is an amazing list. Mm -hmm. Bonnie Tyler, Mm -hmm. Barry Manilow, Take That, (gasps) Celine Dion, Mm -hmm. and Boyzone. And that's just a a snippet of the people. You know, there were plenty of other names there. I didn't know some of them, though, so I cut them out. So, met Jim Steinerman and was successful in getting the role of Rabbit, a maniac that blows up his fellow soldiers so they can go home. Mm. I don't really... That's not heaps relevant to the story, but okay. I was like, oh, that's funny, Rabbit. <laughs> now, there's a, there is a big clue coming up. Okay. In late 1973, I was cast in the original LA Roxy cast of the Rocky Horror Picture Show in the roles Dr. Eddie and Dr. Everett Scott. The musical was so successful that it led to the filming of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, the movie, where I played only Eddie, a decision which I believe made the movie lesser than the musical. That's a pretty big hint, so you might have an idea now. No, I don't, because... I've never watched that movie. Are you for real? I know. (gasps) My gosh, Belinda. I'm really regretting that right now. Do you know... It is such a fantastic film, but also it is a bit weird and quirky and there are some parts that make me mildly uncomfortable, but (laughs) I'm really shocked you haven't seen it. I actually thought you would love the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, I feel like when I was really young, I remember my family watching it and maybe I saw bits and pieces of it, but not recently. I would love to make a commitment to you Mm -hmm. that when we do one of our... Movie, movie nights, nights yeah. with takeaway food. Um, <laughs> we commit to watching Rocky Horror. Okay, and Elvis. Because it is great. And I do want to watch Elvis as well. We're doing movie marathon. Do you know what's really cool as well is I think it was last year, Rocky Horror was in Adelaide, so you could go and see it live. Yeah. And what happens is everyone gets dressed up and everyone gets involved and everyone's singing in the audience. Yep. And I think that would be really cool. It would be. So. Yeah, I remember they used to have that restaurant in the city as well. My parents used to go there when I was oh. younger and it was like a Rocky Horror Restaurant, and so you'd go there, and all the wait staff was dressed up and stuff. That is really cool. I actually didn't. Well, I can't remember that. Yeah, I just rem- well, it was shut down by the time we got older. I think. Yeah. But yeah. Far out. Well, I'm going to make that commitment to you. We're going to watch Rocky Horror. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. And then you'll see this person in action. Okay. Now, to our listeners, if you know the Rocky Horror Picture Show, you very possibly know who we're talking about. But the first album's about to come up, so that should give it away. Mm. So around the same time, I began working with Jim Steinman on several tracks, however, did not have a recording contract. Separately from this, I recorded lead vocals on Ted Nugent's album, Free For All, when the regular vocalist, Derek St. Holmes, I don't know who that is, uh, temporarily quit the band. Also, I love that it says temporarily, so I'm guessing Derek (laughs) quit and then was like, (laughs) don't you take my gig and came back to the band. 
I sang lead on five of the album's nine tracks and in the same year appeared in my final theatrical show in New York City as part of a rock musical titled Rockabye Hamlet. The musical was short-lived and closed two weeks into its run, so it didn't do very well. No. In 1974, I was cast as an understudy for John Belushi in the National Lampoon show Lemmings. Now, I have no idea what Lemmings is, but did you ever play Lemmings, the computer game? No. Oh, okay. (laughs) I did. I feel like that's really showing my age. So what would happen was you would, um, like a cup would pour the lemmings out and there were these little creatures and they'd walk along and there would be obstacles and things and you'd have to help them get, get to the other side and things used to explode and lemmings would die and things like that. But it was a really fun game. And I remember I had it on like, do you remember the big discs? So we like had the little floppy discs. Oh yes. I had like the, it was on a, on a big disc. So when I was really young, like 15. <laughs> no, like really young. I was probably maybe seven or eight. Yep. Yeah. I missed out. Absolutely nothing to do with the <laughs> National Lampoon show Lemmings, though. At this show, I met Ellen Foley, who would later on record the female lead on a couple of my biggest hits from my upcoming album. Jim and I spent time trying to find a recording deal. However, we were rejected by several record companies as they were unable to classify our music into a specifically recognised music industry t- style. Okay. Which is really weird to me because when you work out who this is, you'll be like, well, it's pretty clear to me what style yeah. of music this is. Todd Rundgren, who was under the impression that we already had a record deal, agreed to produce the album and played lead guitar along with other members of his band, which was called Utopia. And weirdly, Todd Rundgren has come up a couple of times in a couple of episodes Mm. and I still have absolutely no (laughs) idea who Todd Rundgren is. So maybe I'll have a look afterwards so that I don't sound uneducated. (laughs) Um, So yeah, a couple of his members the members of his band Utopia were also involved. And then they had Max Weinberg as their drummer. We'd failed to get a recording deal until Steve Popovich's Cleveland International Records took a chance releasing. Now I'm going to tell you the album name, but then I'm going to list a few songs. Hopefully you know this. Otherwise we're in strife. But I really feel like I'm not going (laughs) to, I'm not feeling very lucky today. (laughs) Oh, all right. Well, cross your fingers. Here we go. Releasing our album, Bat Out of Hell, oh my God, yeah, in no. October 1977. All right. Bat Out of Hell included the hit songs, Bat Out of Hell, Like a Bat Out of Hell, I'll Be Gone When the Morning Comes, Paradise by the Dashboard Lights, You Took the Words Right Out of My you Mouth, You Took the Words Right Out of My Mouth, mm, mm. Must have been while you were kissing Is me. Is that who, that person that sings that, that's this person I'm trying to guess? Yeah. Cool. Two out of three ain't bad. Do you know who we're talking about? No. Oh, no. When you said bad out of hell, I was like, oh, Black Sabbath. <laughs> no, not Black Sabbath. Oh, God. Mm. Oh, yeah, Black Sabbath. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me forgetting to press the buzzer. How embarrassing for me. I haven't been honked before. That was yeah. my first one. <laughs> Woohoo! Oh, no. I've written it thinking that you would get this at this point, I'm but that's really... okay. We'll I'm keep going. We'll keep now. going. I know that song. I'm going to tell you some interesting facts about this album, though, right? So, Bad Out of Hell went on to sell 43 million records worldwide, including 15 million in the US alone, placing it as one of the best-selling albums of all time. Are you ready? This is huge. Bat Out of Hell knocked the Bee Gees off their number one spot to become the best-selling album of all time in Australia. Wow. And it still is 
the best-selling album really? of all time in what? Australia. Does that not blow what, do you think your mind? The Beatles mind? or something would be. You would think so, but this album. Bat out of hell. Yep. Well, I've definitely heard of it, but. And you will know the songs. I'm feeling really upset with myself. Do you know that song? So two out of three ain't bad. I want you, I want you, I need you, I need you. Nah. No. But there ain't no way I'm ever gonna <laughs> love you. So don't be sad. No. Because two out of three ain't, ain't bad. bad. Okay. Well, I guessed that. <laughs> but no oh. and you know what i'm just going to quickly talk about paradise by the dashboard lights because that's one of my favorite songs of all time i of really love this artist i really love this artist <sighs> okay i have clothes with this artist on it like i love them and also so paradise by the dashboard lights is a really long song it's a really really great song but there's also a like a significant portion of it maybe more than a minute um because paradise by the dashboard lights is sort of about like two teenagers in a car. Yeah. So paradise, dashboard lights, maybe down at somewhere called like Lover's Lane or something. (laughs) And there's a whole scene where it's just a woman moaning. It's really (laughs) uncomfortable. Bloody great song though. Yeah. I'm surprised that you're into that because you're you're a bit of a prude, aren't you, darling? Yeah. I mean, look, I I, sometimes I'll turn it down or (laughs) fast forward a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll keep going. Um, So number one album of all time in Australia, selling album of all time in Australia. And as of December, 2020 spent a total of 522 weeks in the top 200 UK charts. Wow. In 1979, Jim Steinerman began working on bad for good, which was intended to be the follow-up album for bad out of hell. During that time, a combination of touring, drugs, and exhaustion had caused me to lose my voice. Without a singer and pressured by the record company, Steinman decided that he should sing on Bad For Good himself. So he wrote an album for me. I'd taken maybe some drugs and I was really tired, Mm. um, so I couldn't do it. So he actually ended up singing the album himself. While Steinman worked on Bad For Good, I played the role of Travis Redfish in the movie Roadie until my singing voice returned. So this person, this is going to kill you. This this person's actually quite an established actor and singer. Oh, God. I'm and I'm going to give you a little hint. I'm not going to give it away, but then their name isn't like a name. It's a nickname. So <gasps> it's not like John Smith. It's their nickname. It's like... I don't know. I can't think of anything today. (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Well, that was a good hint anyway. I just hate for you to be trying to think of someone's name and it's not a person's name as per se. Mm. Steinman then wrote a new album for me. Oh, my God. I just thought of someone. Go on. Meatloaf. (laughs) Yes. Yay. Yay. I was a little worried there for a minute. Yeah. So, I don't know if you remember. I do know that you love Meatloaf as well. Yeah. Because I was thinking, who have you got pictures of? I absolutely love Meatloaf. And just to give you an example of how much last year in my wrapped thing, my my YouTube music wrapped, yeah. I was in the top 2% of Meatloaf listeners. Oh, my listeners. God. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, wow, that's pretty wild. Top 2% <laughs> is like a real. In the whole world? Yeah. yeah. All of YouTube music listeners. Yeah. I really love Meatloaf's music. I think the songs are, like, just amazing. Yeah. And you wait till you hear this story because he pops up and you'll be like, I did not know that was him. 
I didn't know it was him in that either. So... Yeah, I didn't know that he did acting. Yeah, and and in some interesting movies. Okay. Yeah. I reckon, I have a feeling you might have to check this out, but I'm pretty sure he came and performed. Was it maybe like the AFL Grand Final or something like that? Yeah, it yeah. was. It features later in okay. this story. There was some interesting comments made by him after that performance. Oh, was it? Yeah. But we'll go over it. Yeah. It's, it's a good part of the story. Well, now I'm happy I know who it is. Yeah, so now I can start saying their name rather yep. rather than pretending <laughs> I'm Meatloaf. I apologise for my voice. It will never live up to the amazingness of Meatloaf's. <laughs> so Meatloaf and Steinemann have this amazing relationship, yep. but it's also a really weird relationship because they sort of fight about things quite a bit. Yep. Steinemann's really creative and writes these really amazing songs. Mm. Um, but Meatloaf gets kind of funny when he writes songs for other people or he doesn't Ooh, give... He jealous. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. But then... We'll talk about it later. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a really odd relationship. So Steinemann then wrote a new album for Meatloaf called Dead Ringer, which was released in September of 1981. The song, Dead Ringer for Love, was the pinnacle of the album and launched Meatloaf to even greater success. While it failed to chart in the US, and for some reason he doesn't do great in the US, mm-hmm. does really well in the UK yeah. and pretty well in Australia. Yeah. I mean, number one selling album of all time to this day. I can't believe that. Yeah, I know. Just mind-blowing. So it failed to chart in the US, but it reached number five in the UK and stayed in the UK singles chart for 19 weeks. Cher provided the lead female vocals in the song. Mm-hmm. I actually don't know Dead Ringer for Love. I should listen to it. Yeah, you should. You love Cher too, so I'm surprised yeah. you haven't. I probably have heard it, though. Mm. On December 5th, 1981, Meatloaf and the Neverland Express. Now, the Neverland Express were a band that were put together specifically to work with Meatloaf. So, for, like, touring reasons, it would always be Meatloaf and the Neverland Express. So, Meatloaf and the Neverland Express were the musical guest for Saturday Night Live, where he and former fellow Rocky Horror Picture Show actor Tim Curry performed a skit depicting a one-stop Rocky Horror shop. Also on the show, Curry performed the Zucchini song. (laughs) I don't know what that is. I have no idea what the Zucchini song is. Uh, And Meatloaf and the Neverland Express performed Bad Out of Hell and Promised Land. Do you know the song Bad Out of Hell? No. I probably do. I'm just showing how much I don't know about everything. (laughs) (laughs) I think you will know it, and I'll I'll play it for you later. Uh, following a dispute with former songwriter Jim Steinerman, Meatloaf released an album titled Midnight at the Lost and Found in May 1983. The album was made up of original songs, some written by Meatloaf. However, Meatloaf later admitted he was not much of a songwriter and did not like the songs he had written for the album. It was also regarded by fans and critics alike as a poor effort, whether compared to previous releases or on its own merit. Mm-hmm. So he tried his hand at songwriting. He's just not a songwriter. Do Do you know who is a songwriter? Jim Jim Steinemann. Steinemann. Yeah. Mm. He is unbelievable. And there's a few songs coming up as well that you'll be like, oh, yeah, right. Actually right now. So according to Meatloaf, Jim had given him the songs total eclipse of the heart and making love out of nothing at all. I don't know that second one. No, no. However, Epic Records refused to pay for Steinman, saying no one wanted to hear his songs. What? Yeah, I don't I don't know much about Epic Records, but if they really said no one wanted to hear those songs, that's a 
poor statement yeah. to make. Bonnie Tyler's version of uh, Total Eclipse and Air Supply's version of Making Love topped the charts together, holding wow. number one and two for that period oh, in 1983. Yeah. Thanks, Epic Records. They could have been meatloaf songs. Yeah. I'm glad that Bonnie Tyler got Total Eclipse of the Heart, though. that is a real good yeah, song. Yeah, her voice is perfect for that. I love that song. Mm. It was a little overplayed at Flight Centre. One of the areas was called Eclipse. Oh, yeah. So every time they came up, they played Total Eclipse of the Heart. And after my, I don't know, seven minutes that I worked for that company, <laughs> at the end I was like, I don't want to hear that song ever again. But I've now started listening yeah. to it again. Poor money management, as well as 45 lawsuits totaling $80 million including lawsuits from Steinemann, resulted in Meatloaf filing for personal bankruptcy in 83. The bankruptcy resulted in Meatloaf losing the rights to his songs, although he did receive royalties for Bad Out of Hell in 1997. Right. God, he must have done some bad stuff. I don't think he did heaps of bad stuff, but they were fighting over who owned songs, who had the right to perform Mm. them. You know, he was fighting it like... He had disagreements with Jim Steinerman. I think a lot of the lawsuits were to do with him. In 1984, Meatloaf went to England to record the album Bad Attitude, which was released that year. The album features two songs written by Jim Steinerman, Nowhere Fast and Surf's Up, which I don't... Surf's Up doesn't sound like a Meatloaf song to me. (laughs) I don't think that man's ever been on a surfboard. Both of which had previously been recorded. The title track features a duet with The Who's lead singer, Roger Daltrey. The album was a minor success with only a few commercially successful singles, the most successful being Modern Girl. I don't know that one either. Mm -mm. In 85, Meatloaf took part in some comedy sketches in the UK with Hugh Laurie, which is the doctor from House. Oh, yes. And the dad from Stuart Little. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The mouse movie. Cute. And he also tried his hand at stand-up, appearing several times in the worst US state, Connecticut, because it's... (laughs) A silent sea that's just unnecessary, in my opinion, Connecticut. Yes, yeah, so well, he tried, tried to do everything, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. And we haven't even really gone over the big movies yet. Some of the movies he's in, I'm just like, yeah. oh my gosh, I can't believe that's him. Uh, for his next album, Meatloaf worked with songwriter John Parr. So John Parr had previously worked with Tom Jones. Okay. What's new, Pussycat? <laughs> I don't know if he was part of that song, but <laughs> whenever I think of Tom Jones, yeah, I that's... think of Sex Bomb or What's New, Pussycat? I know. And I think of. Um, a uh, science teacher from high school that looked like him. Do you remember him? Oh. St. Clair Johnson or something. What was his name? Oh, Saint- yes. Saint- they had Claire? similar hair. Yeah, they looked really similar. <laughs> <laughs> Did he also do Burning Down the House? Yeah. Burning Down, Down the, the house. house. And Buck Fizz, which I feel like I should know Buck Fizz, but um, it's nothing's coming to me. The album, Blind Before I Stop, was released in 1986 by Arista Records and features production, mixing, and general influence by Frank... Farian. Do you know who Frank Farian is? No. Well, let <laughs> me tell you a real quick story. So Frank Farian is the person behind Boney M. Oh, okay. Ra, 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 Rasputin. Rasputin. I know yep. that song. So, but he's also the person behind Millie Vanilli. Oh, yeah. So Millie Vanilli were two gorgeous men who were picked up by Frank Farian and he liked their style and he liked the way they moved, but he didn't want them to sing. So he made, like, he recorded songs and then they yeah, lip syncing. I've heard that before. Yeah. Yep. And so they went right up to the top really quick, but they crashed. And there's this amazing documentary, I think it's on Netflix, about Millie Vanilli. Yeah. Honestly, brought a tear to my eye because it is such a sad story. Mm. But also, one of the guys from Millie Vanilli, because one of them's 
passed. Yeah. The other one, he tours and he sings the songs. Oh, with his and real voice now. he has an amazing voice. Oh, okay. So it doesn't make any sense as to why Frank Farian didn't. Use them originally. Use them. Yeah. yeah. And also Boney M. Mm-hmm. So the you know how there's a guy singing in Boney M yeah. and it's, you think it's that guy in the video clip. I did it to it's, them too. It's actually Frank Farian. He is singing. Maybe that's who I knew. Yeah, Bonnie M. They've yeah. got a few like, yeah, Daddy Cool. That's that's Bonnie M, is it? Oh, I don't know. And I was saying Boney M as well and you're saying Bonnie M. So it makes me feel like I was saying <laughs> their name wrong. I'll probably go with you. <laughs> I think I've established how little I know. <laughs> but I used to love that um, rah, rah, Rasputin, you know, on Just Dance. Just was, Dance, yeah. yeah. Mm. I feel like it's a huge song, but then I feel like Just Dance really like brought Stepped it back. It up. Yeah. So Frank Farian, really interesting person destroyed some people's lives and what he did to Millie Vanilli. Horrible. Yeah, it is awful. Anyone listening, please, if you find the time, watch the Millie Vanilli documentary. It is amazing. And it just gives you this whole other perspective on the, of the band. Mm-hmm. Anytime. On Netflix, you said. I think it's Netflix. But I reckon if you went to your mum and said, oh, Millie Vanilli, I reckon the first thing she would say to you is, oh, they were lip syncers. Yeah. Because that's all everyone says. Mm. And I don't think people actually know the what happened. backstory behind yep. it. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, we, I derailed a little bit there. We're not actually talking about Millie Vanilli today. We're talking about Meatloaf. Uh, so following the success of Meatloaf's touring back in the 80s, he and Steinman began working during 1990 on Bad Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell, which was released in September of 1993. The immediate success of Bad Out of Hell 2 led to the sale of over 15 million copies and the single, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Mm-hmm. What a tune. It is, yep. Uh, so that reached number one in 28 countries. Wow. And I think it's a really beautiful song. I should know what he's saying he won't do, but I've, off the top of my head, I'm not sure. But yeah, great song. Yeah. In March 1994, at the 36th Annual Grammy Awards, Meatloaf won the Grammy Award for Best Rock Vocal Performance, solo for I'd Do Anything For Love. The song stayed at number one in the UK charts for seven consecutive weeks. Huge. The single featured a female vocalist who was credited only as Mrs. Loud. Mrs. Loud was later identified as Lorraine Crosby, a performer from England. Meatloaf promoted the song with American vocalist Patty Russo, who performed the lead female vocals on tour with him. Also in 1994, he sang the US national anthem, The Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> Is I that what it's called, the US anthem? I think so. And I don't really... Oh, see, can you see? Oh, yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I barely know our national anthems. Well, I mean, we remember our national anthem. Well, I, I remember our national yeah. anthem from when we were in primary school. We had to sing it at assembly. Yeah, I remember that. But we never sang like the second verse. No, we? always just the first verse. Yeah. And then sometimes, you know, we'll be watching a football game and they'll sing the second verse. And I'll yeah. be like, what is that? <laughs> Didn't even know there was one. Yeah. But we do know the words to the first verse. We know them oh, very well, yeah. Uh, well, I'm saying that confidently, but I'm throwing a yeah. blank. And, you know, they've recently changed it. Oh, Did you notice have. it's like used to be like we're because um, we are young and free, and now it's changed like we are one and free. Oh, yeah, they've just no, I haven't heard that. that. Yeah, mm. I guess I'm because I'm not massively into sport, mm. and I can't really think of any other time that I would hear the national anthem. <laughs> yeah, that's to be true. Honest. So yep. yeah, I haven't really heard it. But anyway, he he sang the Star Spangled Banner at the Major League Baseball All Star Game. 
Uh, he also released the single Rock and Roll Dreams Come Through, which reached number 13 in the United States. In 1995, Meatloaf released his seventh studio album, Welcome to the Neighbourhood. The album went platinum in the US and the UK and included three singles that made the top 40, including I'd Lie For You, and That's The Truth, uh, and Not A Dry Eye In The House. In 1997, Meatloaf appeared in the Spice Girls movie as their bus driver. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Isn't, uh, yeah. I, I didn't know it was him. No. I I'm, remember the character. I remember the bus driver, yeah. but I never made the connection that it was Meatloaf. <laughs> I actually watched Spice World not too long ago, or the Spice Girls movie. Yeah, that's, I loved that movie. Yeah. I have to watch it again. Crazy, hey. Mm. Um, and then in 1998, he was in the thriller drama Black Dog alongside Patrick Swayze and Randy Travis. I'm not familiar with Black Dog. Um, and he's also in the movie Fight Club, oh, which yeah. is Fight Club is a huge That's movie. That's a really big movie. Yeah. Mm. He plays like a guy that joins, I think, like a self-help group. And I know this a scene where he like hugs this guy and it's really weird and awkward. Yeah. But yeah, he's, so he really was out there acting. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, critically acclaimed roles like the bus driver in Spice World. (laughs) That's pretty cool, though. (laughs) It is cool. I wish I'd been the bus driver in Spice World. I would have been about seven at the time. All right. In 1998, Meatloaf released The Very Best of Meatloaf, which featured three new songs written by Jim Steinman, two by Andrew Lloyd Webber, who was a Mm. composer on the West End and Broadway. Yeah, yeah. Andrew Lloyd Webber's a huge name. Yeah. And one with Don Black who was uh, – so Don Black's a lyricist who wrote songs for Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones. In 2003, Meatloaf released a new album, Couldn't Have Said It Better. This was his third album to not include any Jim Steinemann songs. Meatloaf claimed that Couldn't Have Said It Better was the most perfect album work since Bad Out of Hell. However, the album was only a minor success worldwide, peaking at number four on the UK albums chart. But everything he did – did better in the UK than anywhere else. Yeah. When I looked at all the chart rankings, UK had the highest. Yeah. So it normally would say like UK and then maybe Australia, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. To accompany the album, Meatloaf did a sold out world tour, which included performing at the 2003 NRL grand final in Sydney. Now that's that not what? the AFL. Yeah. So he performs at the AFL later. As well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he was a pretty big deal over yeah. here though. On November the 17th, 2003, during a performance at London's Wembley Arena on his Couldn't Have Said It Better tour, he collapsed of what was later diagnosed as Wolf-Parkinson-White Syndrome, a condition marked by an extra electrical pathway in the heart, which causes symptoms like a rapid heartbeat. The following week, he underwent a surgical procedure intended to correct the problem, As a result, Meatloaf's insurance agency did not allow him to perform for any longer than one hour and 45 minutes. Wow. Yeah. For the rest of his life. For the rest of his life. Because he has this condition. Yeah. That's it. And also, like, I mean, he was a a big guy and when he performed, like, he really got into it. Yeah. So I think they just said an hour and 45 tops, mate. That's all you can handle. Yeah. I don't mind that, though. Little quick, sharp concert. Mm -hmm. Get him in, get him out. I mean, most people only do like two hours or yeah, so. Yeah, anyway, tops. So, yeah. Who can sing for longer than that? <laughs> My voice gets sore after one song. <laughs> <laughs> In February of 2004, Meatloaf toured Australia, performing with the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra and the Australian Boys Choir. Shortly after, Meatloaf and Steinem began working on the third instalment of Bad Out of Hell. 
Sadly, during this time, Steinman suffered a heart attack and was unable to continue working on the album in his state of health. Steinman's manager disagreed with this statement, saying his health was not an issue. So I'm a bit unsure about what went on there. I don't know if they're, you know, they were having disagreements again. And, you know, obviously he was sick. He he had a yeah. heart attack. Yeah. But his manager was like, no, you can work and tried to push him into it. So, yeah. I, I just think know. it's so weird that they've had like legal battles against each other, but then still continued to work together. Yeah. It's so strange. It yeah. is very strange. Yeah. Steinman had registered the phrase Bad Out of Hell as a trademark in 1995 because he wrote that song. Mm-hmm. I mean, Meatloaf sang it and no one, you know, no one hears it and goes, oh, Jim Steinman. Everyone hears yeah, it and goes, Meatloaf. Meatloaf. But Steinman registered it. So in May of 2006, Meatloaf sued Steinman and his manager in federal district court in Los Angeles, seeking $50 million and an injunction against Steinman's use of the phrase. Steinemann and his representatives attempted to block the album's release. An agreement was reached in July of 2006. Denying reports in the press over the years of a rift between Meatloaf and Steinman, in an interview with Dan Rather, Meatloaf said that he and Steinman never stopped talking and that the lawsuits reported in the press were between lawyers and managers, not between uh, Meatloaf and Steinman. Okay. And do you know what? When I got to this point, I was like, oh, I'm so glad that's clarified because they are working together the whole yeah. time. Like they're best friends, basically. Yeah. They're living in each other's pockets. And at the same time, they're constantly Warring taking together. each other to court. It's yeah. really, really strange. The album Bad Out of Hell 3, mm. The Monster is Loose, was released on October 31st, 2006 and was produced by Desmond Child. The first single from the album, are you ready? You yeah. know this song. Okay. It's All Coming Back to Me Now. What, the Celine Dion one? Correct. What? Yeah. It actually was originally written for Meatloaf. Right. And it's so crazy because when you hear it, you go, yeah, like it fits. It suits. Yeah. It suits the style and it suits everything else that he's produced. <laughs> but they gave it to Celine Dion and she sang it. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest with you. I really love Meatloaf, but I do absolutely love the Celine Dion version. Yeah. Though. It's just got a bit more oomph behind it for me. A bit more of a kick in the guts, you know. <laughs> Uh, so it's all coming back to me now, uh, which was featuring Marion Raven. So it's a du- it's a male and female part. Uh, was released on October sixteenth, two thousand and six. Mm-hmm. It entered the UK singles chart at number six, giving Meatloaf his highest UK chart position in nearly eleven years. Yeah, I remember when that song came out. Actually, it was yeah. really big. Yeah. Yeah. The album debuted at number eight on the Billboard two hundred, but did not sell well in the US and yielded no hit singles. Following the album release, Meatloaf and the Neverland Express did a brief tour of the US and Europe. During a performance at the Metro Radio Arena in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, England, on October 31st, 2007, at the opening of Paradise by the Dashboard Light, Meatloaf walked off the stage early in the song and said that it was his last performance. His tour promoter, Andrew Miller, said that it was a result of exhaustion and stress and said that Meatloaf would continue touring after suitable rest. The next two gigs in the tour at the NEC and Manchester Evening News Arena were cancelled because of acute laryngitis. Mm. And I reckon I had laryngitis when I had COVID. It's bloody horrible. It is, yeah. I'd open my mouth and just a little squeak would come out. (laughs) Yeah, you wouldn't be able to do a concert, surely. No, I'd still try. (laughs) (laughs) They were rescheduled for late November. The concert scheduled for November 6, 2007 at Wembley Arena was also cancelled. Uh, Meatloaf cancelled his entire European tour for 2007 after being diagnosed with a cyst on his vocal cords. Ooh. Yeah. That sounds rough, hey? It does. 
Meatloaf would continue touring after June 2008. So he took a, a fair bit of time off. In May of 2009, Meatloaf began working on the album Hang Cool, Teddy Bear. The album was produced by Rob Cavallo, known for Green Day's American Idiot album. Mm-hmm. Don't want to be an American idiot. Hugh Laurie and Jack Black both perform on the album. I didn't even know this. Hugh Laurie, Hugh Hugh Laurie, Laurie yeah. is a piano player. Okay. So he plays piano yep. and Jack Black, well, he, he sings. Yeah. He does bits and pieces. I love he? that song, Tribute. Yeah. You know, such <laughs> a good, good song. Yeah. So Hugh Laurie plays piano on the song, If I Can't Have You. And Jack Black sings a duet with Meatloaf on Like a Rose. Mm. Brian May of Queen features on guitar, along with Steve Vai. Both huge names. Yeah. I sort of know that from Dad a little bit, though. I'm not very familiar with Steve Vai, but I think Dad's mm. told me about Steve Vai before. Mm-hmm. Uh, received positive reviews from critics and fans alike. The Hang Cool tour followed in the United States, UK, and Canada. Patty Russo accompanied him on the tour, continuing through to mid-2011. On October 26, 2010, Meatloaf appeared on the Fox television series Glee. Ah, oh, yes. Yeah, in the Rocky Horror Glee show. Mm-hmm. So they had that, that special episode. Sense. Yeah. Uh, the series' tributed episode to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. In 2011, he was a contestant in season 11 of Celebrity Apprentice, <laughs> during which he was eliminated after Task 12. I'm going to talk about this really quickly. I watched this interview with him, um, and I'll, I, it's in the... It's in the sources later on, this interview that I watched. It's it's maybe 45 minutes long and it shows clips of him on The Apprentice and he like loses his mind at some guy and he is like scary. scary. (laughs) He, I felt very uncomfortable and he says that his wife said to him, whatever you do, just don't get angry. Yeah. He got angry. (laughs) Like. What about? Oh, I, I. do you know to be I can't, I don't know the context of it. Yeah. I just saw him like I want to say screaming, but he's mm-hmm. got like such a powerful, you know, deeper like voice. Yeah. It's really it's really fun. <laughs> I don't want to be on Celebrity Apprentice with him. <laughs> That's all I have to say. <laughs> okay, so in October of 2011, Meatloaf released his 11th studio album in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, the rest of the world received it in February of 2012. So we got it first. Oh. Lucky. It performed averagely, uh, <laughs> except for, guess where? England. In the UK. In the UK. Where it peaked at uh, number five yep. on the charts. Here we go. Here's the bit you've talked about. <laughs> this is pretty bad. And I I remember people telling me how bad this was. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually watch it myself. You probably did watch it. At the 2011 AFL Grand Final. Was that Geelong and Collingwood? Do you know... If my mother was here, she'd be able to tell us who it was. I'm pretty I sure can't. it is because I'm a Geelong supporter. Yeah, and um, Yeah, they won in 2011. Right. So the, the pre-match entertainment was headlined by a 12-minute medley performed by Meatloaf. The performance was panned as the worst performance in the 34-year <laughs> history of AFL Grand Final pre-game entertainment in a multitude of online reviews by football fans and Australian sport commentators. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they still mention it all the time. Like, yeah, they they still talk about it. What a bloody legacy to leave behind. <laughs> Remember that time you performed at the AFL? Don't bring it up. <laughs> It must have been bad. And people knew how much I liked him, I remember, and people said to me, no. It was really bad. It was terrible. Mm. 
Meatloaf responded by calling online critics butt smellers. Oh my gosh. To me, that just sounds like something an American kid would call someone your butt smeller. Not like he would have been around 60 or something by then, wouldn't he? So 2011, I think he was born in like 54, did I say? Um, I wrote it down, 47. 47. So, yeah, he would have been in his 60s. Yep, so he called online critics butt smellers and the AFL jerks, Mm. vowing to convince other artists not to play at the event. Mate, I hate to tell you, I don't think he was successful with that vow. No. Because we would we have... Who did we have last year? Uh, so Kiss was there oh. last year. Then the year before was Robbie Williams, which was amazing. I mean, Robbie Williams. <laughs> like, yeah. And yeah. Kiss. Sorry, Meatloaf. Yeah. yeah, and obviously, and Kiss, amazing. Mm. Yeah, sorry, buddy. I think you, you failed in your vow there. Uh, in 2011, Meatloaf planned to release a Christmas album called Hot Holidays, featuring Garth Brooks and Reba McIntyre. And I think that would have been pretty cool. Do you yeah. know Reba? She's a country singer and she's got yeah, short red hair. I do, yes. Yeah. Uh, the album was never released. <laughs> Glad we're Damn. talking about it now. <laughs> Meatloaf's longtime collaborator, Jim Steinman, died oh. on April 19th, 2021, of kidney failure. Mm, really sad. sad. He had previously suffered two strokes separately at, you know, years apart. Yeah. So he'd had two strokes, but then unfortunately in April, the kid- kidney failure got him. Yeah. Um, so he had a heart attack as well. Two strokes. And yeah. Then, mm. It's probably not the healthiest of people. Doesn't sound like Is it. that normal? Well, yeah, for some people. Should I be expecting to? No. Hopefully not. Yeah. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to s- stop <laughs> eating burgers. Upon Steinman's death, rock writer... Paul Stenning said he left a tremendous legacy, referring to him as the greatest ever composer of symphonic rock mm-hmm. and citing him as an influence on a variety of bands across many genres. Meatloaf reacted to Steinman's death by saying, we didn't know each other, we were each other. Aww, that's I know, nice. That is lovely. In a Facebook post in November of 2021, Meatloaf stated that he and his band would be returning to the studio the following year to record seven new tracks for his upcoming album. However, on January the 20th, 2022, Meatloaf took his last breath Mm. and died suddenly at age 74 due to complications related to COVID. Right. Yeah, Mm. I didn't know that. I knew he died. I remember it. I remember Mm. being shattered. I didn't I, at the time. I didn't know it was complications related to COVID. No. He was un. He was not healthy at the time anyway. And I think yeah. COVID might have just been the cherry on the cake. Yeah. Unfortunately, although Meatloaf was fully vaccinated at the time of his death, he had been critical of the COVID nineteen lockdown, stating, "I hug people in the middle of COVID. I understood stopping life for a little while, but they cannot continue to stop life because of politics." He opposed mask mandates and described a person who called for people on airplanes to wear masks as a Nazi and power mad. Mm. So he had a pretty negative opinion of the whole, you know, COVID. Lockdown. Yeah, mm -hmm. which I get, like it was a tough time. I wonder what he'd think about it now. Yeah. He said, he, sorry, he stated, if I die, I die. Okay. But I'm not going to be controlled. Well, there you go. He did what he wanted to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there you go, mate. Uh, Meatloaf lived a very full life. He married twice. He had two children. So I think he had two two daughters. Uh, he was an avid fan of the New York Yankees. He performed in over 50 musicals, plays, and movies, and still has the highest-selling album of all time in Australia. 
Bat Out of Hell will go down in history as being a musical masterpiece that changed the face of soft rock. Mm. Ironically, Meatloaf was a vegetarian (laughs) from 1981 to 1992 and even participated in vegan events like Veganuary. Oh, I would not have picked that. No, he's actually a really cool person. He was really involved in some great stuff. He did, it's not written here, but I am going to tell you, he didn't believe in climate change. He had quite a firm stance on climate change. Yeah, right. He sounds like a bit of a... um, Had some opinions. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting fact, KD Lang, I can't even remember what that song's called. What's that? Nah. Of KD Lang? Yeah, there's like that one really big song of KD Lang. I can't think of it. No, neither can I. (laughs) That's all right. KD Lang refused to meet Meatloaf due to her strong vegan beliefs. So purely oh. based on his name. That is so funny, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, she wouldn't meet him. Not interested. Do you know why he was called Meatloaf? I do, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he was actually born as Marvin Lee Aday. He later changed his name to Michael Lee Aday. Aww. And the reason he changed his name is because there was a Levi's commercial. And the Levi's commercial was poor fat Marvin can't wear Levi's. <laughs> And that really upset him. Yeah. So he was like, I don't want to be called Marvin anymore. And because Levi's in the States, you know, that's, mm-hmm. they're huge. Like yeah. one of the biggest things ever. But he was born as a red child. Yeah. And his initials were ML. Ah. Uh, and his, so his dad actually started calling him Meatloaf. Right. But also his dad said something like he looked like a giant hunk of chuck or something, which okay. I think is like a huge amount of like yeah, meat. ground meat. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And there's a few different things. So he also stood on his coach's toe at a football game and the coach said, get off my foot, you giant hunk of meatloaf or something uh, like that. Right. So, but he, he credits his father with the nickname meatloaf. Also, I just want to tell you, he's very specific about it being meat loaf. It's not meatloaf one word. It's meat loaf two words. Okay. And he's very he was very passionate about that. I don't think that that's that important that he does. So meatloaf born Marvin Lee Day, later Michael Lee Day is one of the most known powerful voices of the 70s and 80s and will always be remembered and idolized for the person he was and the music he created. And that is the story Aww. of meatloaf. AKA one of the greatest rock stars of all time, AKA Eddie from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, yeah. which I think it's crazy that you haven't seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And like I said, I'm going to make that commitment to you, but basically he like rides in on a Harley and mm-hmm. he's like all cool with his vest on yeah. and he really, he looks like what you think he'd look like. I can't wait to watch it. Yeah. Um, just quickly, my sources, wikipedia.com, which I just say I do use Wikipedia a lot because it's such a great resource. I also do donate to Ricky, Wikipedia once oh, a year. Do you? Yeah, they always send me an email and I always give them $10 oh, plus good a credit on you. card fee. Yeah, well, I think, you know, we're very lucky to have Wikipedia. It's a yeah. great source of information. I know sometimes it's not super reliable, which is why I have to double check everything before mm-hmm. I yep. jump on the mic here. But Wikipedia is my main base of information. I also use the independent.co.uk. Uh, like a bat out of hell, the larger than life story of meatloaf. So that's his biography. Okay. Which you can buy as a book. I found the first 12 pages online <laughs> and just used that. Okay. So it's really just the start of the story. Yep. Uh, deadline.com slash meatloaf dies and meatloaf, the big interview with Dan rather, or rather, I'm not sure how mm-hmm. it's said, but that was fantastic. That's the 45 minute documentary oh, that, that I watched. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he just goes in there and do you know what? He's a really cool person. Like he's, 
He's really friendly and loves to chat. He's a bit weird about a couple of things, <laughs> like meatloaf being two separate words. Yeah. But he's a really nice guy. And yeah. some of those songs, I just Yeah, love you do them. love them. I know. Like, yes. yes. And I've got yeah. my meatloaf T-shirt that I do wear quite often, yeah. actually. Yeah. So that's the story. Yeah, thank you. That's amazing. What do you think? I thought it was really interesting. Um, I've obviously learned a lot because um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I showed how much I don't know today. But um, <laughs> nah. I'm going to have to go and listen to his songs. But Out of Hell, definitely not Black Sabbath. No, Sabbath. <laughs> no. And you got you, you genuinely got the buzzer yes. and the air horn. Yay. I mean... I think you've got to give yourself some credit. You still got. You I still got, got the name though. last time. I got the band, so I actually got the name. Yeah, this time. Gosh, I'm, I like challenging you, don't I? You have challenged me. Yeah. You've done amazing. You've picked so many amazing people. It's, oh, I'm. Glad. I love listening to this. Well, thank you so much for being on Guessing Game Musical Legacies podcast. Thank you. Quickly, I'm just going to spruik our Instagram, which is Instagram.com/slash/GuessingGamePodcast. Um, the link tree is on there, which gives you the link to all of the episodes uh i hope everyone has enjoyed this episode episode five is just around the corner it'll be here on wednesday next week uh sorry episode six. Oh my that's gosh that's your halfway mark as well yeah, isn't it, it is yeah yeah i need to credit where credit's due um once again shout out to my mum kerry happy, happy birthday. birthday happy 60th birthday mum. we miss you yeah come to adelaide soon <laughs> and i hope everyone has a wonderful week Bye. Bye.